mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. <laughs> it's amazing. He's talking about motorcycle insurance. Now let's start the show. Step out of the car. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. Q is here. My name is Tom, and we are here to break down the week. Um, Gatto is not here, probably arrested, 100% positive. Um, but we got a lot of shit to cover. Um, and we're not going to cover the major league baseball trade deadline because honestly it was boring as fuck and it ended eight minutes ago and the teams that nobody cared about traded for people and the teams that people do care about didn't trade for anybody. Q, any thoughts on that? And you're on mute. I, yes, I, I just realized that. Um, I would like Brian Cashman arrested for war crimes. Um, he did nothing right, and they didn't indict him. So I don't know what that tells you. I think I've already looked through the third Trump indictment. I think he's on, like, page five as the guy who was trying to, like, move into Mar-a-Lago to <laughs> get friendly with people, but they just kicked him out. But let's just wrap him up in that as well. A um, couple of things that we're going to talk about here. Um, we're going to get into – Football as training camp has officially started. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about the Trump indictment too. I I don't think we talked about Twitter or formerly known as Twitter turning into X and how much of a shit show that has been too. But we can we can transition into that. But Q, I know that you wanted to get into training camp. It's a new day in the Meadowlands. Um, new Jersey is all aglow with the excitement of having the Giants and the Jets at training camp. Yeah. How are your vibes right now? The vibes, to quote Jalen Brunson, the vibes are immaculate. Excellent. Um, I'm actually, for the first time, very happy that the Jets are the story of the offseason in New York because too often the Jets are just like the, you know, weak little brother of, of uh, New York football. So essentially like – you know, it's kind of the same shit, but now with Rodgers and now potentially Dalvin Cook um, coming into the fold, like they're building what looks to be a super team. But like, you know, anytime we see this in the offseason, there's always that fear that it's like, well, are they the 2011 Eagles all over again, where it's like they build that big super team and then they end up just shit, completely shitting the bed? It is the Jets, right? And so it's like until you see it. The Giants, on the other hand, everything I've been hearing has been really, really great. Um, everyone's been looking good. Everyone's been saying that Daniel Jones has looked more confident. He looks bigger, stronger, um, really seems more comfortable in this offense. Because like, if you go back to last year, Wink Martindale, who's probably the biggest blitzer in the NFL, they were allowing him to blitz every single play in training camp. Like, you know, this is where you kind of just do walkthroughs and he's getting blitzed and the offense looked like shit this year. They're doing the same thing, but it's not 
they're not getting overpowered this year. So the offense is like looking legitimately good. The Saquon Barkley thing has been handled, at least for now. The only thing that's been slightly kind of eh, is that their first round pick, Deontay Banks, has been kind of struggling. But like a lot of these drills are not really made for corners to to excel in. But I don't know if you've been paying attention. Um, somebody who's on my fantasy radar, and I'm going to put it out there, Darren fucking Waller has been getting everything thrown his way. So in an offense that I think can be pretty fruitful, a guy like Darren Waller, who, you know, in, in fantasy, I don't think is going to go earlier than the sixth or seventh round at this point um, for tight ends. That's not bad. Could be a could be a target monster. So I think he's been really good. And uh, are, are you familiar with Jalen Hyatt, Tom, mm-hmm. the, the oh, third yeah. round pick here from Tennessee? I don't know if you know this, but like recently they've been saying because like now all the like the new wave in the NFL is GPS. So instead of like the 40 yard dash which is like you running in shorts, you have to like get into a specific position. Some guys are just not good at running it. They rely more on GPS data to back up who's like the fastest guy. He clocked this week 24 miles per hour in training camp on the GPS. Now, that's without pads or anything like that. But the second fa- – if that would actually be a new record, he would be faster than Tyreek Hill was at 23 miles per hour in mm-hmm. training camp. So he's showing that next level speed is something that the Giants haven't had in a while. Um, everything I've been seeing has been really, really excellent. Evan Neal, the right tackle that they drafted in the first round last year. He's he I think he weighs the same, but you can see a visible difference. He worked with Willie Anderson, who is a borderline Hall of Famer in the offseason, worked on his stance. Kayvon Thibodeau looks like nastier this year. So everything has been good. I I'm actually low-key kind of excited about how the Giants are looking. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know that we had hinted a little bit last week about Darren Waller, and I think he's just a guy that needs to be in a new environment. I would like to see, like, in order for me to be bought into him, I want to see him to go through an entire training camp healthy and get into the regular season with no bumps and bruises, because that seems yeah. to be kind of something that, has been a challenge for him over the last couple of years. But then again, he also wasn't playing for a great team too. And I feel like there's some guys that are like, yeah, I'm not really going to push it if this team's going to be three and 14. So. Yeah. I think two years ago, I don't think that's the case, but I think last year with McDaniels, he was very much like kind of packed it in early. I think every, like the Raiders, you remember last year, the Raiders were like losing games in miraculous ways in the second half of the game. Oh Yeah. Like every game, it felt like they were up at halftime and then they would just lose in just the worst way possible. Um, so I'm actually pretty interested, like, to see. I'm with you there. Like, it's it's legitimately a it's a lottery ticket at this point, right? Because like he was a thousand yard receiver for the Raiders a couple of years ago, but like, yeah, he's been kind of in and out. The good thing though is that he hasn't had any sustainable long term injuries. It's all been like a quad injury and this, you know, and so yeah, it's like bumps and bruises and shit. Yeah, like that. exactly. Like lower extremity stuff. He looks amazing from the stuff that I've seen. He's been outrunning everybody on the field. So like sometimes that's all it takes is like a new, you know, new environment. But what I would have wanted to point out, what I wanted to get to, um, Kadarius Tony, young Joker. Yes. So I, Tom, we've been paying attention to the young Joker situation on Twitter the last few weeks. 
or I'm sorry, X, excuse me, X. Um, I know that he was talking shit to former Giants players and the Giants players were like, dude, nobody wanted you here. Nobody liked you. Like yeah. you're, you're always hurt. You didn't like do anything. And he was just being a dick. Um, he, um, that's the extent, a, but I also know that he tweaked a muscle in his body somewhere. So he'll be out <laughs> for six weeks. He, uh, he just had surgery, uh, cause he had a knee, a knee injury that he oh. sustained in practice. Um, so he, it's quite, it's questionable. He might be back by week one, but there's, there is some question about whether that's going to happen or not. He, he had been like cursing out giants fans in their DMS. Every post is like, ha ha, I'm with the chiefs. Now you guys suck. And it's funny because like, and then he tried to claim he got hacked after he was like cursing out people in their DMS. And it's just, it's so funny because he's just kind of validating my concerns about him. Because he he seemed to care way too much about what people were saying about him. And it's like, dude, you're an NFL player. Like, you're going to get criticism. You just have to ignore it. You have to play, too. Like, the best way to resolve that criticism 100%. is to be productive. I mean, the, the Kadarius-Tony experience was – you can look this game up. It was the Dallas game of his rookie season. I think he had somewhere upwards to, like, nine catches for, like, 140-something yards. Like it was a ridiculous game, but it's the Kadarius Tony experience because he had that insane game halfway through the game. He came out with an injury, but he came back and then he punched Trevon Diggs with, an, with, with a, his regular hand on his helmet and got kicked out of the game. It is the perfect eclipse of what Kadarius Tony experience is like. And I'm actually okay with the fact I was perfectly fine with the fact that they traded him because at the end of the day, I trust Joe Shane. I trust Brian Dable to know what they're doing. But I wanted to get to Kadarius Tony because Darren Waller is effectively in that trade, right? Because mm -hmm. the pick that the Kansas City Chiefs gave the Giants was then flipped to the Raiders for Darren Waller. But there was another pick that was included in that trade, and it was a sixth-round pick, and is a corner out of Old Dominion named Trey Hawkins. This kid is 6'3", 200 pounds, big, and he ran like a 4'3". He's like – now he's raw. He's What's raw. His name again? Trey Hawkins. He is super, super raw, but he is now running with the second team. And some beat writers have alluded that he might end up starting this season because he has been just destroying people in training camp. If this kid ends up hitting, this is the greatest trade maybe ever. <laughs> you know, you end up getting a potentially like high end starting corner and Darren Waller for young Joka, who. Again, I'm not taking pleasure in the guy having a knee injury or anything like that. I, I, I do wish him well. But you're also not mad at him. But at the same time, it's like he, this is exactly why you receive criticism is that, like, I don't think you're doing the things in the offseason you need to do to take care of your body. Like, being an NFL player, you have, like, the maintenance you have to go through just to be able to play a full season is crazy. Like, I've seen what, I've seen what Saquon Barkley goes through to – play a full season at running back like you have to like you can't be just like fucking around this is also the guy who got covid twice his first rookie season you know he hurt himself because he was wearing the wrong type of shoe like it, like there was so many fucking problems with this guy that like it just seems like he doesn't like really get it he's more of an athlete than a football player at this point mm -hmm. in, my, in my mind so it was just funny because like it seems like as of right now the Kadarius tony trade has been looking pretty good for us so we'll see though 
Yeah, and 6'3 is pretty nice size compared to some of the other cornerbacks they have on that team too, right? Like Richard Sherman was six foot three, and when he like made his name in the league, everyone was saying like his size makes him such a difficult matchup for yeah. you know wide receivers that are like five eleven or six mm-hmm. foot. And honestly, that's kind of the and outside of AJ Brown, I can't really think of a all lanky receiver in the NFC yeah. East. I again, like, no, there's, I, there, I mean, CD Lamb is like he looks like he's 6'3, but he's only six, six foot, six foot one. Yeah. Um, and then, so really, um, him. I mean, Dotson for the commanders, Curtis Samuel, they're yeah. all shorter guys. Yeah. Terry McLaurin is not a huge guy, but 5'10, 5'11. Yeah. Yeah. So, all that to be said, and probably AJ Brown is the only guy that's that's big. And the thing that you mentioned, Richard Sherman, like Richard Sherman fell in the draft mainly because he was kind of a, a zone corner only. Yeah. Because, you know, he only, I think he ran like a four, five, four, six. Like he wasn't, he's not exceptionally quick or anything like that. But like he can jump routes and he's tough and he's big and he's strong. Um, this kid at his pro day just absolutely lit it up. So, but like, the, the, you know, why, or why is he going in the sixth round? Well, he played at Old Dominion and, you mm-hmm. know, he's not going against the league competition. And like he was like clearly the tape wasn't great, you know. There's raw athletic ability, but he's not really a football player yet. But the early returns, and again, it's just training camp. This is literally like tiny little fraction of what the NFL season is going to be like. He's he's running with twos. I'd like to see him run with the ones for a little bit, just to see how he handles going against you know a uh, uh, Darren Waller or you know uh, going against a you know even Darius Slayton or Isaiah Hodgins, but. Um, the early returns are good. I mean, again, for sixth round pick, you don't really expect anything from a sixth round pick. Um, and the fact that he's already getting a special starting. teams player like, right. at bat, yeah. not yeah. somebody who's going to be a starter. No, no. And you get lucky. Like, like Seattle had gotten lucky a couple times, you know, with guys like Sherman and all that day three picks that ended up becoming pro bowlers for them. But it's not an impossibility. Uh, but like every pick so far uh, that Joe Shane has made, man, is like, it just seems like he gets it. And he's been building the team. So speaking of corners, um, the commanders um, mm-hmm. made a bit of a surprising decision to me um, in, with uh, the cornerback pick uh, in the first round because everyone was talking about Gonzalez, Christian Gonzalez. Um, and then, you know, they don't take him when he's available. And obviously they take, uh, what was their kid's name? Emmanuel Forbes. Emmanuel Forbes. Have you have you seen anything about Emmanuel Forbes yet that has kind of piqued your interest? Has there been any like because I, I don't know if you saw the other day also just to speak generally about the commanders, uh, the amount of fans there, huge is huge. So it seems to be reinvigorated. Yeah. So there's a couple of things there. First and foremost, I I have to apologize to Emmanuel Forbes because when they drafted him. I had the same reaction as many other people like, holy shit, why would you do this? Like Christian Gonzalez is right there. Like this is one of the better guys in the draft and Emmanuel Forbes, like people were interested in, but I didn't know that he was like that kind of talent. And then you find out that the dude played a ton at Mississippi state. He didn't miss a lot of games. Um, Broke records. He is the NCAA leader in pick sixes. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And he has already essentially impressed people in camp. He's already playing above his ability level. Um, and ultimately, that's what the commanders needed, right? Like their defense was pretty solid, but they were not able to turn the ball over and get interceptions and have big playmakers. It seems like the number two corner spot and like free safety have always been kind of musical chairs for yeah. the last like five or six years. And they haven't really been able to find somebody who sticks mm-hmm. and is able to actually impact the game that they, they want. And I don't think that they run an aggressive enough defense that they're going to be able to get the kind of pressure and then turnovers um, from sacks that you're hoping with a front seven, like they have, but Forbes has done really, really well. And I think that they're pleasantly surprised at how much he's taken to it. He's already gone up against Terry McLaurin a couple of times as well. Um, And ultimately his job there is to take the ball away from quarterbacks. He's, he's there truly to be the shock factor in the secondary that they haven't had in a really long time. And I'm hoping that that kind of like aggression allows other guys to play a little bit more aggressive as well. Mm. Um, And then to your point as well, just how camp has gone. So last they I've been following it relatively closely and they, the commander's Twitter page or X page or whatever the fuck it's called now, they had a side-by-side between camp last year and camp this year. First and foremost, they added bleachers this year. Mm. And it has been <laughs> finally a shit ton of people there. Like rows and rows and rows of people. Yeah. And people are excited for the team now. And the players are excited for it. There's a lot of juice in, in the environment now because, you know, Saddam Snyder is gone. Um, (laughs) And I think also too, like they're coming in with a little bit of different confidence as well, knowing that there's a young quarterback that the team has drafted that they're going to try to give every chance to be successful. And they have an offensive coordinator who's there now who's worked with quarterbacks and has made them successful. Hmm. And I just think there's a different vibe. Like Kevin Durant was at camp for a while too, like during the hottest day of the year, watching them practice. Um, I've seen a lot of the plays, like the seven-on-seven drills they've had, and even the full squad practices where Scary Terry looks like he has taken a step himself too, and he was already really good. But watching the ball placement from Howell to McLaurin has been interesting. I think they're going to surprise some people. And I'm, I'm again, this team is not fundamentally different from what it was last year. The head coach is the same a majority of the positions are still the same as well, minus Forbes or with a Forbes and Howell being injected into the starting lineups. But there is like a different energy now. They they don't feel like the sorry bunch anymore. And yeah. I mean, you got Brian Robinson for a full training camp as well, too, which I think will be also really interesting because he's not coming back from an injury. Um, and they're just hopefully going to be able to just continue to develop these guys and have, again, a dynamic offense that is going to be more than what it was in the last like three or four years. That said, though, there's plenty of people out there who are still not sold on Sam Howell. And mm-hmm. I was reading a Twitter post the other day that was saying, like, we should have re-signed Heineke for like a one-year $10 million deal. And it's like, 
I think at, I think at a certain point you have to like, you actually need to start separating from the guys that were like cult heroes, but didn't really do anything for the team. Yeah. Heineke at least could throw the ball and move it around and the guys liked him, but they were still an eight, eight and one team in him with him in there. Yeah. And one well, of those, how one. They just goes to show you then. Right. Cause like, mm-hmm. so uh, going back for a minute, like I, I, I don't want to take credit for this, but I was one of those people that was telling you uh, with the Emmanuel Forbes pick that I, I liked it. I, I was one of those people who was like, man, going o- over Christian Gonzalez, because I don't think anybody expected Gonzalez to be there um, at that pick, was interesting. But I, I give them credit that they at least, like, they went with their guy, right? Like, they obviously have faith that he's their guy. Um, by the way, he had a, uh, a pick six the other day in practice, I saw. Um, so he's already already doing that. He is he is a ball magnet, man. That's what yeah. Josh Gardner referred to him as. So um, he, you know, you never know with these guys. A lot of times they can end up becoming uh, so much more. Uh, you know, the, I think the biggest, I think really the only knock on Emmanuel Forbes coming into the season. He's a but, slight guy. Yeah, he he's just a like I think he's 180 pounds, maybe 178. Um, he looks like, small too. Like he's on, skinny on camera. He looks yeah. very like trim. Yeah, he's 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 skinny. But like you know, the game we're playing now, especially like in a zone heavy scheme, like his job is not going to be to get up in the face of a receiver and and try and wrestle him. It's going to be pretty much to play his zone and and jump routes and that's and you don't have to be the biggest guy to be able to do that. So um, he and that's what he excelled at in Mississippi State. I mean, he was just. Like he was one of those guys that I was looking at for the Giants uh, at the tail end of the first round, uh, you know, pick number uh, twenty three uh, was twenty four, uh, twenty five. I was look I was looking at it for because I didn't think Banks, who they ended up getting, was going to be there. I didn't think Gonzalez would be anywhere near there. So he was one of those guys. I was like, I'm perfectly happy with getting him. So um, I I was very upset when I saw him go to the Commanders because I I knew he was going to uh, I knew he I knew he was going to be one of those guys. So. But yeah, he, now, I, I, everything I've I, seen, he's been really sticking on people. Question for you, though. Mm-hmm. And I think for the Giants, from my perspective, this is all about, like, they built confidence last year. Yeah. And they're they're bringing essentially the same coaching staff back, which is something that Daniel Jones has not had in a long time. Never. Um, never. Um, and they have confidence coming in. You know, Saquon, whether he likes it or not, is paid and he will play this year. Yeah. And they've also been able to add talent. Mm-hmm. That's what I see as a commanders fan for the Giants. As a Giants fan, what do mm-hmm. you see that's different about the commanders this year? Well, I mean, the, the ownership change is a significant thing because, like, I, I don't think it's out of like the realm to say that vibes play a huge part in how an NFL team is going to operate, right? Like, when there's positive vibes there, I mean, like, you're a Knicks fan, like me. Mm-hmm. How often are we doomed and gloomed by the fact that James Dolan can, at any point, hijack this team and just decide to do whatever he wants and screw everything up? If it's James Dolan is sitting in the stands during yeah. the game, it's that's a bad no sign. shit's fucked up. That's yeah. a bad sign. Exactly. You know shit's fucked up. So for us, like for you, it's going to be a former Nick, like retired in the Raptors yeah. and has to get thrown out of the game because yep. he said to fucking James Dolan, like you got to sell the team. 
Jesus. And it's like, it, 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 there was always that feeling of like, man, at any point this can go fucking south. Um, so I think for you, like th th that's the big difference is that the vibes are definitely better. The, the only thing that there's two things, there's two X factors to me with the commanders that scare me. Mm -hmm. One is Chase Young because he's been hurt the last few seasons. You know, he, he was out the uh, 2021 last year. He pretty much was out the entire season. Yeah. He's, I think, I think they declined his fifth year option from correct. They did. And he's playing essentially on a one-year deal now, and he's going to want that next paycheck. This could be a big season for him. If he's healthy, if he's 100% back to being the guy he was in college, he could be scary this year. And, you know, for you guys, he's either going to be great and cost you a lot of money in the long run, or he's going to flame out and, you know, whatever. But I think the the it leans more towards him having a big year than I think having a bad year. So mm -hmm. that's what definitely makes me nervous because you guys already have a defensive line that is just disgusting and it's going to be hard to keep those guys together long-term, but like you still do have them at least for now. Uh, and then the, the real X factor to me is Howell because I was a Howell guy coming out of college. I, I loved him in North Carolina. I thought he was better than people gave him credit for in his junior year. And for him to go to the fifth round, like, I mean, he was getting first pick in the draft buzz before his junior year. And then now he's in the fifth round and I'm screaming at the TV for a team that had Daniel Jones, at their quarterback, and wasn't feeling very confident about him. I was like, why not take a shot on this guy? He's a dual threat guy. But, I, you know, we talked about this before that he he gives us Baker Mayfield vibes, not really an attitude, but it's just in stature and play style. Right. And I think that maybe rubs some people the wrong way. If you're getting a fifth round pick at your quarterback, and let's say he goes out there and he has a borderline Pro Bowl season as a fifth round pick, you have another two years of him making absolute nothing at a position that people are paying average quarterbacks $40 million a year. Yep. It's going to give you a substantial leg to stand on for going out there and spending money on people, knowing that you have a cheap quarterback for the next two seasons, you know, and then you could franchise and whatever. So, Seattle Russell Wilson vibes back in when they drafted him in the third round. Um, that's what makes me nervous is that if Howell hits, I'm one going to be pissed because like I wanted him on the Giants and he would have been easily easy to get. And two, it's going to put you guys in the driver's seat to be a young team that could probably go out there and spend a lot of money on high priced assets and have a above average starter at the most important position in the game. Yeah. And I, I think too, and as much as I don't love to like say that ownership is in an advantageous position, just given what's happened with Saquon, but also Jonathan right. Taylor either. But I, I think they're about Jonathan Taylor in a little bit. Yeah, I think they're in a position. The team, the Commanders, in a sense that if they get a great year out of Chase Young, yeah, that's a plus. If they get a bad year out of Chase Young, they don't owe him any more money. But also, too, like if he if he ends up being – I don't want to call him a bust because injuries happen, and I don't think guys are busts if they're injured. No, but I don't either. They can, they can just say, like, we had the number three pick in the draft, and he was the number three guy. Like, yeah. we were supposed to take this person. Like, right. And ultimately, too, like, that's, that's, the, that's how the game is played. Like, if 
there's a guy that you're supposed to take, you take them. And if they don't work out, they don't work out. It's it, how it goes. Injuries are always going to happen. And like, you can't hold that against the player unless like they get injured outside of the game. Right. If they're riding a motorcycle and get injured, that's when I judge them. But like for sure. Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I will say though, like Chase Young has also been a guy who seemed very committed to the team too. 100%. So yeah, I, I never got even, that vibes. Even while he's been hurt, like he's a guy that you want to come back and root for because he's trying to come back. He, he overtrained and hurt himself again. Like, yeah. You know, you kind of roll your eyes at that, but at the same time, like, I'd rather have guys get hurt trying than, like, a Kadarius Tony situation where they just don't want to play until they're in the situation that they want. And then when they get there, too, an injury actually happens. And yeah. So I think they're in an advantageous situation right now. He, 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 can, he coming out, I mean, like, again, like, I, 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 that game that the commanders and the giants had that went to overtime that decided the number two, number four pick. Mm -hmm. And I mean, like as a giants fan, I'm kind of glad that they ultimately won that game because it led to them getting Andrew Thomas, who they giants just resigned for hundred million left tackle. Um, but like, I honestly thought chase young was going to be a star. I, I, I still think he can be He's still young enough to be, um, he, he, you know, Ohio state had been producing these guys like nonstop and, you know, the Bosa brothers and all that. Um, he still has it, but it's just, it's gonna, it's gonna be up to him at this point if he can, if he can capture it. But that's a, it's a scary idea if he does end up hitting because between Allen and, and Deron Payne and, all, and Montez Sweat, like you guys already have, uh, an elite defensive line. If he comes back and he's anywhere near what I thought he could be scary and a couple of those guys are already locked up too so i believe alan i know Payne just got locked up Payne and alan have been locked up yeah. already um yeah. i don't i don't think montez sweat has but i think yeah. he's got one more deal he's got one more year left on his deal um and honestly they kind of have like replacement level guys at the other linebacker the the inside linebacker positions they run like so many different schemes now it's hard to keep yeah. track of everything but I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, but the team on the other side of the practice facility in the New York Jets have been getting a lot of attention with Aaron Rodgers being there. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get your thoughts on that situation with Sean Payton and the former coach of the Broncos. And Payton mm -hmm. basically said this was the worst coaching job that ever happened. And Nathaniel Hackett has fucked over this team. Seems a little cruel. strong, cruel. A little strong, yeah. Cruel, um, but Aaron Rodgers has stood up for his guy too. But what's your take on that whole situation there? Everyone's been very hyped about the Sean Payton thing, and I think that, like, again, I'm going to go opposite. The vibes have been real bad for me. Um, I don't. I've never been the biggest Sean Payton stand ever. Like, you know, he's a former Giants guy. I get it. Like, I I know he's talented, but like. You're banking pretty heavily on the Russell Wilson coming back to life thing. But him saying that was very interesting to me. He's not wrong, by the way. Like, nothing he said was wrong, in my opinion. But he said it. That was. But he said it. It's it's like, you ever seen that Marge Simpson, like, uh, meme? It's like, well, he's not wrong, but he shouldn't say it. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it is true. Like, you don't, you don't go out and trash other coaches because, like, any coach should know that, like, playing, coaching in the NFL is one of the hardest things you could ever do. 
and especially being a first-year head coach with a loaded roster, it sounds amazing, but it's like the expectations are so much higher. If you go coach the Houston Texans and you're bad, like no one gives a shit. Everyone expects it. Um, but having said that, like the Broncos were like astoundingly bad last year with Hackett at, 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 you know, as coach. So like, and he didn't survive the year. And like, and it, and like some people make like bold decisions to cut guys early. I think we all kind of felt like it was time because yeah. Hackett had lost like control of, of the team. And like, yeah, they lost Javante Williams early and like that sucked, but like he wasn't playing. None of them were playing well before that. Um, the offensive line had taken a huge step back. The only thing that was doing well was the defense, but I don't think you credit Hackett for the defense. Um, it just seems weird, though, that Peyton feels the need to do this, though, because like, again, he like most coaches just take, you know, the step of going like, oh, well, you know, last year was last year. We're, we're focusing on this year. And like he's going out of his way to crush um, Hackett, which was weird to me. And I, I think actually, like this is one of the first times I actually agree with Aaron Rodgers that it was like it was just like a bullshit move. Like he didn't have to do it, and like it feels like he's just going out of his way to be a dick. And like so, he's only leading to the bad, even worse vibes for the Broncos this year. Yeah, it was, it was a very strange thing to say. And I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair to say, like we have watched enough football where we've seen whether college or professional footballs, football coaches come and go. And you were like, that was a terrible job, Yeah, but not the worst. And Joe judge, Joe judge, um, all of the Browns coaches at one point, um, Rod Chudzinski or Rob mm-hmm. Chudzinski was one. Yeah. Um, Hugh Jackson was another, like, Oof. but I will also say too, like, Nathaniel Hackett was the coach of that team for one year. Yeah. Um, and who was the coach before that? He's a defensive uh, guy. It was uh, – uh, fuck. He's the Miami Dolphins uh, defense coordinator now. Um, so, I think he was there for like three years. Again, I don't remember his name, but he was a DC. It was uh, – Podcasting, Vic Fangio. <laughs> yeah, Vic Vic Fangio was mm-hmm. there, who was yeah. like a a his like a storied defensive coordinator. He did an okay job. They were just lacking offensively a little bit. Yeah. But they also they had Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. They didn't yeah. have Russ that year. So. And and you have to wonder though, because they also had a guy before that too who wasn't good. But yeah. the whole like reoccurring thread through all of this is John Elway was the president of the team. Mm-hmm. And John Elway came in saying, like, I was the guy that won the Super Bowls for this team. Like, I was the face of the franchise for so long. I'm going to be able to fix it. I'm going to be able to bring us in a quarterback that can win championships and a coach. Like, this team has not been good since Mike Shanahan. If you you really think about it, they have not been a continued successful winning team since the Shanahan era. And they have gone through quarterbacks at a remarkable rate ever yeah. since, like, since Jay Cutler was there. And even, I would say, like, Jake Plummer, too. I mean, you don't even have to go back that far, Tom. Think about what went wrong last year. Think about awesome. it. it, but it. But what's funny is that, like, it what went wrong was so simple that they hired Hackett. Mm-hmm. Why did they hire Hackett, Tom? 
They wanted to get Aaron Rodgers. They wanted to get Aaron Rodgers. They thought if they hired Hackett, it would like Rodgers would force his way to Denver, and then and then they end up getting Russell as a backup plan. They gave up a huge huge amount of money, and they paired him with Hackett, which may have not like fit what what Russell wants to do. Now I am going on the record here. I'm putting my like stamp on, down on it. Russell Wilson is done. He's not a starting quarterback. Anymore. You're he. You're not going to see old Russell Wilson anymore. I. It's it's over. Two years in a row, I'm seeing slow and like I know they're like, oh, he lost weight and he's been the best shape of his life. And it's like, sure, sure. I, I've I've seen Fine. enough. I've seen enough to know that at this point, I don't think you're ever going to see vintage Russell Wilson anymore. The thing um, is, too, I, I just I know you got another point there, but the yeah. thing is, too, like at least. Sean Payton was able to hide some of the Drew Brees flaws because they yeah. played inside for eight games. Exactly. You're not going to be able to do that in Colorado. Nope. Yeah. And, and like, again, like now, I mean, at least now Payton seemingly wanted to coach Russ. So it's like, it's a little different, but like that, the vibes were off in the beginning when you go out and hire Hackett to get Rogers, you don't get Rogers. So you just go like, we have to do something because we got Hackett. Well, let's go get Russ. And it's just it was it was just off from the beginning. And and I, I don't think anything has changed. Again, the des- they reek of desperation in Denver to me. Yeah, not much has changed with that team. Like they haven't added any pieces of significance. They haven't I mean, I think they had a chance to like trade some guys and get some draft picks. They traded Bradley was- Chubb last year. And they had to tra- they had to get picks back because the fifth pick in the fucking draft went to the Seahawks because of the fact that they they traded for Russ, yeah, um, and which would turn into Devin Weatherspoon. I don't think he's at camp yet though. That that's the one lone holdout so far. Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, I mean, listen, Sean Payton has been around for a long time, so he clearly doesn't fear the blowback, but like. I don't know, man. It just seems odd for him to go out and like, it almost does, does it not. Okay. So I wanted to throw this at you and see how you feel. Cause I have a conspiracy theory. My conspiracy theory is that Sean Payton walked in the door. He saw that Russ is not looking like Russ. He sees that the roster, like you said, hasn't really been upgraded and he doesn't think the team's going to be very good. So he's almost going out of his way to say Nathaniel Hackett fucked this team up real bad because it's an easy way of going like when the team starts sucking, he can kind of go, well, I already told you this team was already messed up. It's going to take me. I I don't think that's a conspiracy. I think that's kind of laying the foundation and setting expectations that like, hey, we're probably not going to be good this year. It's super outlandish for a coach to do that because, like, I'm just trying to, like, come up with reasons. Why would he do that? And, like, that's the only thing that's, like, in my head that makes sense. Especially if you're supposed to have faith in the team, too. Like, if you think this team is actually going to be really good, you wouldn't say that. No, you would be, like, we're going to, like, last year's last year. We're on to this year. I I do want to go back, though, because I think I made a mistake. The team was actually good for two years when Peyton Manning was there and Gary Sure, I mean, and, yeah, the, the the Manning years when they won the Super Bowl were, were but, great, but like, but that's not really like like Jake Plummer was drafted by the Cardinals and he found his way out of the Broncos, but also Mike Shanahan won two Super Bowls and they were consistently good for an extended period of time. I feel like they had a nice spike when 
um, Peyton was there for two seasons, and then it was after that it was done. Like, yeah, and I mean, because you had fucking Peyton Manning as your quarterback, so like, yeah, sure. And like, honestly, and even like, in that last year too, that last year where he won the Super Bowl, he was yeah. like, it was not him winning those games. Yeah, no, no, no. It was, it was the defense. The defense was really good, obviously. You know, Von Miller and uh, and you know all those guys, Champ Bailey, but like. Yeah, and like I'd argue that like the you know who really fucked this team up a couple years ago was Josh McDaniels. Yes. When he walks in the door and trades Jay Cutler, he trades Brandon Marshall. He did draft Demarius Thomas, I'll give him that. But um, you know, drafts Tim Tebow in the first round, and it's like, you know, like that like that this team, the 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 vibes have been rotten in Denver for you know a long time. So I, I just to me, I, I don't know if this really, like, the Sean Payton thing, do you remember, I, I am I crazy, or was there a lot of buzz in the beginning of the offseason that Sean Payton wasn't going to coach? And then all of a sudden, he just takes the Denver job? I, have, I, I wonder if it, like, was this just a money grab for him? Is he, like, is this going to be Phil Jackson in New York? You know, now you're obviously not coaching, but, like, is it like is did he do this for the money or do you think he legitimately really like this was the job that he really wanted? So I feel like over the last couple of years, it was Sean Payton is only gonna coach in two places, Miami or Dallas. Dallas. And yeah. none of those were an option because Mike McDaniel's actually a pretty good coach, and yeah. the Dallas Cowboys are buttons for punishment. And right. They love to be lied to. Mike McCarthy, baby. Yeah, they love to be lied to about a guy who said, oh, yeah, I love analytics. And he lied on his resume and (laughs) said that he was the CEO of What a a king. He just lied and basically said, Honestly, he should be a role model for all of us. Two plus two equals four, Tom. We should all go into an interview and have the same Riz that Mike McCarthy had walking in. And he was like, yeah. I know analytics now. And he's like, I don't even, I don't even know what a calculator is. Oh my God. But, he just wrote analytics on a chalkboard with fucking the question mark. And he's like, hmm? words, numbers. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I would agree with you. I think like those two opportunities dried up pretty quickly. And yeah. basically the Broncos went to him with an offer that he could not refuse. Like what's 18 the worst? million a year. Yeah. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? The team's going to be five and 12 and they fire you after two years. And he, you he's just making the most money paid. of any coach in sports. Not like, not just like football, like American sports. He is making the most money as coach. Yeah. I mean, when Walmart calls and says like, Hey, we're new to this thing. We don't know what we're doing. How yeah. would you like to make eighteen million dollars a year? I mean, I gotta, I gotta admit, I'll buy a snowblower. I gotta admit, man. Like, I don't have anything against the Broncos. Like, I, I like historically, the Giants and the Broncos don't really like have anything against each other. So, like, I'm not gonna sit here and say that like I hate the Broncos or anything. But like, it is pretty funny for me as a like Walton family hater. Um, to watch them ever since they've taken over, it's just been a fucking nightmare. So that GM is something else too. I, I the, the the moves he's made are have been questionable at best. So yeah, I mean, I think it I, again, like we've had, I feel like we have this conversation every NFL season. Like yeah. 
GMs and head coaches actually have no fucking clue what they're doing. And they would be better off just going off of like Madden rankings to sign <laughs> people. Cause you know, I mean like too many times they just like, it seems like these guys don't like, this is what I like. Again, I'm going to talk about Joe Shane again, because Joe Shane, the God, um, some of these guys, like, I feel like they didn't, I don't know their history. I don't know George Patton's history, but like, they're not like, I like grinders, man. Go show me a guy like Joe Shane started in the ticket booth for the Carolina Panthers, worked his way up to a scout, then worked up to an area scout, then a national scout, then ended up, you know, jumping on to with Bill Parcells in uh, Miami. And then Brandon Bean gets a job in Buffalo and makes him his assistant GM. Like he like literally like grinded his way to being a GM. Like, Give me those guys. Don't give me these executives anymore. Like, I don't want to see it. Um, show me a guy that started from the bottom, and that's that's the guys I'm interested in. So. Yeah, I mean, he's been an assistant general manager since 2012. Yeah. And I, I feel like mean, yeah, I feel like at least in the NFL anyway, like there are guys that are like assistant general managers for like three or four years, and then they get promoted to another job. If he went 2012 and he got that job with Denver yeah. in 2021 and he was the assistant general manager for the Vikings mm-hmm. and granted it was a they were pretty respectable they've been a pretty respectable team for the last you know 10 12 years but at the same time though you know again riz <laughs> does he riz have riz <laughs> the riz god um jumping back to the original question though how do you feel about the jets Feeling good about them? Yeah, yeah, we kind of we kind of uh, lost track over them. I honestly am more optimistic than most. Like, I think like I'm a Jets hater. Like, I don't like the Jets. I I personally can't stand the Jets. Um, I find them to be one of the most irritating fan bases and arguably one of the most irritating teams out there. And they are truly the Knicks of of the NFL. Like, I know I've said that about, like, a couple teams, like the Commanders and all that, but they really are the Knicks of the NFL. It feels like everything they do is cursed. I think they're going to be good, but I think people need to start tempering the expectations of what this is going to be because let's not joke around here. Tom, how many Super Bowls has Aaron Rodgers won? One. Now, I I asked some Jets fans – what are your expectations for the season? Are you saying Super Bowl or bust? Or are you just going to be happy to make the playoffs? And a lot of them are just been saying, like, they're going to be happy to make the playoffs. And I think that's, like, kind of part of the problem is that, like, they're already lowering the expectations of this team. It's going to come down to the man we were just speaking about, Nathaniel Hackett. If he is better than what he showed us last year, or if Rodgers has like some secret sauce with him, I don't know. But like, I think there's legitimate questions about what this offense is going to look like. I have no doubt it will be fantasy relevant. Rodgers, Garrett Wilson's going to be eaten a lot. Um, I like the tight end room. I think if Dalvin Cook is there with that offensive line, could be really good. But like, are they going to be consistent enough on a week to week basis to be able to? They stay with there with the Buffalo Bills and the Miami Dolphins for that matter, because I'm I'm big on the Miami Dolphins this year. So I don't I don't know. And even with the Patriots, like honestly, with Bill Bill O'Brien back, I think the offense should be somewhat functional. And I, I we've been talking about Jonathan Taylor. We'll get to Jonathan Taylor in a minute. I think New England Patriots could be one of those teams that goes gets Jonathan Taylor. 
So um, I, it's, it's not out of the realm for me to be to think that the Jets could end up being in third place at the end of the year. Yeah, I think for me, it's. I think for me, the Jets are in kind of a weird situation where I appreciate that Jet fans are kind of tempering their expectations. Like we just want to get to the, some of them. Some we of want them. to get to the playoffs and we'll yeah. go from there because ultimately this this team does not know how to win just yet. Right. And I think the the area that I'm concerned with for this team is that the other teams in their division have a pretty good handle on what it means to win. Yeah. Like Bills have been in the playoffs consistently. The Dolphins have been pretty good. The only thing that's really held them back is just the health of their quarterback. Right. And the Patriots, I mean, storied enough. And I think they have enough guys left on that team from when they were really successful and really competitive Yeah, that that's easy to bring back. I don't think it's going to be something that they need to like, they need to learn how to love again. Their defense was not the problem last year. It was the offense. And now right. Bill O'Brien was already had one a, of their better defensive yeah. offense. I mean, that's what happens when you have a fucking homeless guy <laughs> right off the block. Like, Hey, can you do us a favor and run the offense? And like, I've never <laughs> looked at an offensive playbook but forever. You're hired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's the problem too. And it's not like they're walking into an easy to win division. It's a good example. It's it's not like you're walking into Brett Favre's AFC East where the only team you had to worry about was the Patriots Patriots. and you could beat the Bills and the Dolphins twice in a year. You got, I mean, for most years, they were getting four games every year, the Bills and the Dolphins that were relatively easy. And now you're playing – you have six division games in total that, like, are not going to be guarantees, mm-hmm. right? The biggest thing for me with this Jets team is that I have no doubt they're going to score points. I have no doubt they're going to be good. But how are they going to handle adversity? When they get punched in the mouth, and every team gets punched in the mouth eventually, how are they going to respond to that? And New York is a very different environment than yeah. Green Bay because Green Bay – they're very protective of the Packers there mm-hmm. versus in New York. They have another team that they can go to in the Giants. And the Giants actually went to the playoffs last year too. Yeah. So if we want to talk about like proven winning team, this team has already proven it can win. The Jets have only proven if they have the talent to win. Right. It's way different. Yeah. It's so it's so different because like, you know, we talk about 2011 with the Eagles, right? I, I mentioned them before. Like, there was no reason that team shouldn't have been amazing. Andy Reid as the coach, Mike Vick. It just Vick, didn't work, though. It just didn't work. It just didn't work because there was just, like, there was no – account. It seemingly like there was no accountability. There was no one willing to step up and going, like, hey, guys, we fucking suck. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to fix this shit now. And it's like, doesn't seem like – and, like, in that Jets locker room, I don't know who that is. I don't really know who that is. And again, I'm like, everyone might feel that I'm kind of grasping at straws here, but like, I think these are legitimate points. And like, I, again, it would not shock me if the Jets go, uh, you know, 13 and four, you know, or, you know, 14 and three. It wouldn't shock me. But like, it also wouldn't shock me if they go eight and nine, you know, and they, and they end up missing the playoffs. It really wouldn't. Uh, because and it also like Salah has not been tested as a head coach, you know. So I mean, and again, 
the offense has been the problem over the last few years. And then now you, instead of going out and getting a guy that maybe is coming in hot, going, you know, getting a, getting a Mike Kafka S type guy, they go out and they bring Nathaniel Hackett in because of the familiarity with Rogers. But, and then they sign Randall Cobb because of the familiarity with Rogers. They get Al Lazard a contract. Yeah. And like, you know, it, it just seems more that they're just catering to Aaron Rodgers' whims rather than putting guys in there that you really need. And they trade, they, they got rid of Denzel Mims, who I thought had promise. And then they traded away Elijah Moore because, you know, clearly he wasn't happy with the situation. And it seems like they're getting rid of the more talented guys and bringing in people that Rodgers is comfortable with. And it's like, again, it could go great. And it may go great. But I see real opportunity for this to be an absolute shit show. So the first four games they have, are you ready for this? Yeah. Regular season, Mm -hmm. Bills in MetLife, Okay. Cowboys and Jerry World. Oh God. Patriots, Chiefs. Patriots where and Chiefs where? Um, at MetLife. Both at MetLife. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I will say, better that you get the Chiefs at MetLife than at Arrowhead. Better that you get. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if Gillette is like a huge, you know, um, bump, but it's gonna I think be against the Jets. It, it if would be. if they're one and three after that. Like again, like I said, how do they handle adversity? You go out there and you're one and three, you're two and two. I think two and two, you'd probably be okay, right? Like you probably feel okay with two and two. If you're out there and you're one and three or you're 0 oh and four after that, and it's let's say it's even if it's bad luck, you lose by three points in every single game, that can fracture a team pretty hard. Yeah. And that's why, again, I give a lot of credit to the Giants last year is that like they went on a winning streak and then they lost a bunch of games. The Seattle game was really tough, they lost. And they didn't break. They kept going, and they they kind of leveled out at the end of the year. End up making the playoffs. Win against the Vikings. Like it was a positive year, to where I, I just you know the Jets haven't done it yet. So like, I, I'm I'm kind of at the point where it's like you have to kind of show me something before I'm actually going to buy it because I've seen this I've seen this story before. You remember that uncapped year when the the Jets signed you know Jason Taylor and. You know, all With those guys. Tomlinson. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they had Alan Fanica and all those Keller guys. Winslow was on that team, yeah. too. And then and what did they do? They didn't do shit. So, like, at the end of the day, until I see them put it together consistently and get themselves into the playoffs and then make some noise, like, I, I, I am going to believe it when I see it with the Jets. I would agree. And just to kind of cap that off, too, like, they play the Broncos in week five, but then they yeah. play the Eagles – they play in MetLife. The, they play the Eagles. But and the Broncos they, are not like we've been talking about them. Like we don't know what they're going to be. Right. Sean Payton is a good coach at the end of the day. So like it's not it's not that's not a walk in the park. Certainly not. They have a bye week in um, week seven, but then they come back to play the Giants, the Chargers, and then they go to Vegas and play the Raiders and then they go to the Bills and then they play the Dolphins. Like this is. That's, my not point, easy. that's a really yeah. tough schedule. My point is, is like, this is not an easy schedule. The no. only really like rollover team here, I'm going to tell you right now, it's the Raiders. Like you're yeah, expecting no, that Jimmy no, fucking no, Garoppolo no. is going to be the starting quarterback for the whole year. And they're going to be good. Yeah. And Josh McDaniels is the coach too. And yeah. they play in Vegas full time. I, I just saw Jimmy G clip the other day. He had to hit three times to throw the ball 40 yards down the field. He looks 
bad. Trey Lance looks bad too. There's I'm been... I'm more optimistic about Trey Lance because number one, no San Francisco 49ers quarterback has looked good so far in camp. Um and you know, his competition is Sam Darnold, and then Purdy, we'll see if Purdy's healthy getting into yeah. the season. Um, I, I'm not giving up on Trey Lance yet. I'm not either, but the the people that were like, oh, he's gonna come back and be awesome and like yeah. let's pump the brakes on the that. The brakes have been pumped, yeah, on the hype train. So any other teams that are kind of standing out for you right now? Or is there anything that you've been is there anything that you've been keeping tabs on as it relates to camp? Any other teams out there? Yeah, I've been I've been keeping an eye on the Eagles and from all reports that I'm seeing, Jalen Carter is him. And uh I'm very mad about that because the the I talked about this during the draft coverage, but getting Jalen Carter at nine and then getting fucking Nolan Smith at the end of the at the end of the first round was just unfair, and it just seemingly happens every single year with this fucking team. So I'm just really really pissed about that. But yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up winning Defensive Rookie of the Year um, in this offense in this defense. He's going to eat. So been keeping an eye on them. Um, I'm really interested in the Dolphins um, because, uh, you know, early reports have looked really good for them. Um, this Devin uh, Acheny, the, the running back out of Texas A&M they drafted, is supposed to be like a burner, really kind of perfect for this Mike McDaniels offense. So I'm really interested to see what this looks like for them. Also, I wouldn't shock me, like we've been, we didn't really get to Jonathan Taylor yet, but like mm-hmm. a team like we the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, a team now. like the Dolphins getting, Miami, getting Jonathan Taylor would be really interesting to me. So um, – Let's talk about the running back market just briefly before, because this is this is a really interesting case to me because I love Saquon Barkley, but I don't I don't subscribe to a lot of like the older Giants fans who are like, pay the guy like he deserves it. He's been a great guy for this team. I don't think it's smart or what winning teams do in the NFL now to pay a running back over market value just because you're a good guy. Right. It doesn't happen anywhere. The running back market is what it is. The, the, the game has long since gone past having one running back as you're all. And, and like, Tom, can you name a team that has won the Super Bowl over the last few years that has won because their offense was centered around a really good running back? The answer's, no. the answer's no. Um, I'm I'm really racking my brain right now to think. So last year, the Chiefs had Isaiah Pacheco and a bunch of randos. Yeah, they got Jarek McKinnon off the scrap heap. They have Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who was a first round pick, and guess what? They benched. He was him. injured all last year. He got benched, and it was Pacheco who was a seventh round pick out of Rutgers. You know, I mean, even with the Eagles, you think about it like they had Miles Sanders last year, right? They were in the Super Bowl. They had Miles Sanders. He had over a thousand rushing yards. They let him go. They trade for DeAndre Swift, who's on the last year of his deal. They're going to use him up for a year and then they're going to let him go hit hit free agency. They're going to go do Mm -hmm. it again to somebody else. The key action with running backs is you draft a good one, right? Either maybe day late day one, day two, maybe second, third round is kind of like the sweet spot. You use them up for their running back, like their contract. If they're really good, you franchise them for one year because it's usually kind of manageable cap-wise. And then you go find another one. That's the system now. 
And most good teams don't have a single running back because what happened, the running back is the most injured position in, in sports. If you're relying on one guy to, to be your entire rushing attack, what happens when he gets hurt? To, to make another point to add to what you're saying to like going back to the Shanahan era, Mike Shanahan era, Denver Broncos, like how many running backs did they go through? Like, the Joik Bells or the Tatum Bells of the Mike world Bell. or Mike Bell of the world or the Willis McGahees of the world. Like Terrell Davis was an undrafted guy. Terrell Davis was an undrafted guy. Like the thing is, is like, and then obviously Kyle Shanahan has really continued that too, wherever yeah. he's gone as well. Yeah. Like finding guys who are running backs that fit a system yeah. And they exploit them until like there's nothing left, which, I mean, I hate to break it to you. That's how every position in the NFL works. There's just a shelf life for more for some positions longer than others. Yeah. I wonder though, because I, I don't know if it was B. John Robinson who said this, but like the guys who are able to do more than what just like running the football. Those are going to be mm. the guys that are at least going to be in the conversation of like getting a multi-year deal. Maybe not yeah. like a huge deal. He cited like, Christian McCaffrey as the architect of what you have to be in the modern NFL. And it's you need true. To, yeah, you need to be a guy who can run. You need to be yeah. a guy who can catch and not mm -hmm. just like catch periodically. But no, you need you to, be to be like a slot receiver, essentially. Yeah, you need to yeah. be a guy that is able to catch 50 or 60 balls a year mm -hmm. and fill it up on both sides. And honestly, yeah. a good example of that, like, are we going to move to a league of Brian Westbrooks or guys like Christian McCaffrey who might have like, you know, 700 rushing yards a year, but they have like eight, 9,000 yards receiving yeah. because you don't, those positions are so unpredictable and these guys are so fast and twitchy that they're able to get around. Like Brian Westbrook is probably the best example. Yeah. Or Ladanian Tomlinson. Tomlinson is, is a good one. Yeah. yeah. Those are probably the three best examples from my memory of like guys who are like fantastic runners, but their pass catching is so underrated and they were so good at that. I think I was one of the only people, uh, uh, Giants fans, that was really against the Saquon Barkley pick. And it was simply just because I said, like, this is what I, I literally said it. This is what's going to happen. Saquon's going to be good for a couple years, right? He's going to have an injury because running backs always have injuries, especially early in their career. But I said, by the time the Giants are good, it's going to be time to pay him. And he did. Do you know that Saquon Barkley is already right now third among active running backs in salary? He hasn't even been paid a second contract yet. He's third all time and amongst active guys. So like being the second pick in the draft, he was already so well paid because no team is paying running backs that much money anymore because it just, it's not fiscally responsible. It is a position that has been antiquated. And yeah, unless you're Christian McCaffrey can run the Texas route the way he can, you know, and run those like really quick routes that get open and be a part of the passing game. You're not going to get a big contract. I mean, you're you know you're in North Carolina. You saw Dante Foreman with Panthers, right? He had a pretty good year last year. He signed what two years, four million. 
Miles Sanders, we just talked, I just talked about him. He signed for six million per year with the Panthers. Like they're they're not getting big money. So Saquon won 16 million per year. And Saquon Barkley was never really a part of the passing game. You know, like just never really kind of like took to it the way he like it looked they like. They always talked about college. it though, but they never yeah. did. It. It just they tried last year. They tried, and it just didn't really look like that. So, but like so, getting back to Jonathan Taylor, he is a bit different in the sense that he is a bell cow guy who does have receiving chops. But I don't know what I'm giving up for him. I'm there are some teams that I think could go for him. The Dolphins make a lot of sense to me um, because they do need that you know number one kind of type of guy. I think the Patriots make a lot of sense. Um, I think the Bears would work. But, like, you really do have to be a specific type of team to be, like, really in on this. Because even giving up, you'd have to not only give up draft capital for Jonathan Taylor, but then you'd also have to give him a big contract. You have to give him $16 million per year. It just doesn't really make sense. Another team in there would be the Cowboys for me. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because he's uh, a name. Because he's Tony a name. Howard and him could be like a one-two punch, for sure. But they don't have they don't have the money to pay him sixteen million dollars per year. So it's like, it's just funny to me though, because like I, I everyone's getting really crazy. And I'll talk about the running back contracts a little bit more with my asshole of the week. But this is it's a really interesting conversation because it's not going to change. It's if anything, it's only going to become even more of like a lower like the contracts are even going to become even smaller for running backs. I would agree. And I think that the tide really started to shift. Like there was always like this growing momentum around like you really shouldn't pay running backs a ton of money. But then Todd Gurley showed up and really like tore the roof off the place. And they gave him a ton of money. And he like he had like a degenerative knee issue. And Name one team that paid their running back and is satisfied with themselves afterwards. Maybe and, Nick Chubb. But and like, I would he I didn't get pers- a big contract. Yeah. And I would also like if I'm a Jets fan too, I'm concerned about like we went out and signed Dalvin Cook, which is a name, but you can see like his numbers are going down every year. And you already have two running backs on your team that are young. Bryce Hall's or Brees Hall is coming back from an injury, granted, right. but Michael Carter is pretty good. Right. The problem is though, is like, how do you get all these guys to work together? And maybe this is the secret formula moving forward, but like you also need to pay for the name of Dalvin Cook, too. Right. And you're paying for a guy, and I'm gonna say right now, he's gonna be an eight hundred yard guy. It, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me. Going from like an eleven hundred or twelve hundred yards per year guy to an eight hundred, like he he's always been like a very talented back, obviously, but also a guy who's always dealing with injuries, like constantly. Now the money is going to be important to me, right? Because at the end of the day, if Dalvin Cook, now by the way, he has not signed um, yet. He he met with the Jets. He back he's back in South Florida. Um. The meeting went well, apparently, but he's still a free agent, so it's it's not official yet. But, like, if they can get him for cheap, and, you know, Rodgers uh, did do a, a really nice thing for the Jets. He, he took a pay cut, and I think they got, like, $35 million back. Mm-hmm. So he um, they, they do have the money for him. 
And if it's only like a one, maybe two year deal, it's not the worst thing in the world. But like the the market is just not there because like, yeah, so Cook had 1,100, almost 1,200 yards last year on 264 carries. He had eight rushing touchdowns. And as far as receiving is concerned, he had 56 targets, 39 catches, 295 yards. So he had 10 total touchdowns. All in all, he had roughly about 1,400 total yards, 10 total touchdowns. And yet he's still kind of like he's being courted, but like we don't know what these numbers are going to look like. Maybe they're offering him nothing. We don't really know. It just goes to show if Dalvin Cook is not being offered $60 million, no one's going to. Right, like, and Saquon Barkley's not going to get that either next year, even if they let him walk. And I think Taylor. Well, first off, you never trust like a Florida State running back either because they just like abuse those guys down they there, do. and then they yeah. let them loose into also, the Jonathan, NFL. Jonathan Taylor was a Wisconsin was he was a Wisconsin yes. guy, right? Yeah, and they abuse their running backs too. So they're like, all right, we're gonna like eat you up when you're down here, and then we're gonna let you go free. You're probably gonna be a second round pick, but enjoy it. But I agree. Like, I I don't know how the Jonathan Taylor situation in Indianapolis gets resolved. Like, he's still going to be there. I think he's also hurt right now, too. He's got, like, a back injury thing going on, he, too. He had 926 carries at Wisconsin. Yeah. That is fucking wild. It's over three years, right? Yeah. Yeah, three years. He had 299, 307, and then 320. It wasn't 300, like the magic number, like anything over 300. It's the DeMarco Murray number, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when when everyone started seeing like, oh, DeMarco Murray's done. It was the Jamal Lewis number back when he hit 2,000 yards. It was the um, Larry Johnson number, too. Larry Johnson, who, by the way, have you, have you kept up with Larry Johnson? My man is pilled hard My body. man is crazy with a capital C. <laughs> <laughs> but all those guys, other than like Derrick Henry, all those guys that have over 300 yeah. carries in a season have completely fallen off. But even Derrick Henry starting to look like he's starting to get slowed. A little bit, yeah. That's a little true. bit. The, the, the rust is starting to show a little bit. And typically when those that rust starts to show even a little bit. And he's like 26, 27. It doesn't you know? rain, it pours for running backs. In I'm the telling NFL. you, man, it, when you see the signs, don't think that they're an arbitrary. Like, they, they are, it is happening. Mm-hmm. You're not seeing things. Like, and even like, I will admit, Saquon Barkley didn't look there as fast as he usually looked last year. Like, when there's, and again, and again Jonathan Taylor, is he going to be the next David Johnson? You know, David Johnson, who had, who just exploded in the first few years of his NFL career and then got injured. Slowly had more injuries, and the next thing you know, he can barely get a start. He can barely get on a roster. So I, I mean, got to think real careful here. The league average, I think, in running back rooms is like eight or nine million, maybe ten. You're going to spend sixteen on one guy. It's like you know, a guy who got injured last year. Like you're, you are betting big on a on a position that people are not betting big anymore. Well, I mean, the other thing too is like to add another wrinkle to it. Like you're going to spend eight or nine million on a guy who's going to touch the ball maybe 12 times in a game yeah and then yeah and then and on top of that to keep him healthy you're going to want to limit his his reps yeah so you're paying him more to do less right mm-hmm. like to where if a quarterback when you finally pay a quarterback you're paying them to take on a bigger share of like the, the team like you know to, to be more of a leader and to be more of this and that with a running back like with saquon like if they gave him 
the, the, the 16 million that he wanted, they would have scaled back his workload. So he'd essentially be getting paid more to do less. It's just, it's, it's not, it, you can see how it's not sustainable, right? Like it just doesn't make sense. And I know that they had like a, a like a group conversation on Zoom, like all the premier yeah. running backs in the NFL, and they said like there's nothing really we can do about there's it. There's nothing like, you can do. Like guys, like learn how to fucking code. I don't know, man. <laughs> like, like the the problem is is that it's a buyer's market right now, and right. you're the guys that are in the guys that are entering the buyer's market who yeah. are like offering their talent. We're already with another team. That other team knew exactly what to do with them and they used up all their talent and now they've cut them and they're saying like, go find something somewhere else. And I get it. Like, I think this is the ultimate reality of how the NFL works is that it's the, is the premier sporting league where it will chew you up and spit you out and like, mm. fuck y'all. Like, yep. honestly, like, I don't know. Like you said it perfectly. You said it better than I could. Like there's nothing really that's going to change right now. No. And like, I don't know what else these guys can do. I feel for them certainly because a lot I of these guys too. like are going to deal with some serious and like medical shit moving yep. forward. Hopefully I love they are, Yeah. Hopefully they are in like the pension plan for the NFL because they played long enough. But like the NFL has also been very, very cold when it comes to like understanding players. And yeah. these are often the last guys signed and the first guys cut. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, speaking of. Cut free. Cut free. Um, I did everything right. And they <laughs> indicted me again. <laughs> um. We are recording this on Tuesday night, and as of 4 o'clock, um, a third indictment for Donald Trump came out. Um, Q, I don't have it in front of me, but yeah. he has essentially been indicted for trying to overturn the 2020 election. I might be like dumbing that down significantly, but um, another indictment. They keep coming for me. Um <laughs> Does this have any impact on Trump's election campaign for 2024? Is this is is this just like more paint on the walls of an already ugly house? Like what is this like what does this mean for the normies like you and me? I don't know. I I honestly like I feel pretty confident in saying like I don't know. We are charting on on like we're in our uncharted waters at this point. Because there's no rule that says that he can't run for president from a prison cell if that if that's where he was, right? So like this this is four. Somebody's counts. already tried to run for president from prison, by the way. What is uh, the Tiger King? Um, no, I can tell you right now. Keep talking. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I, 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 there's no rule that says he can't do it, and I have no doubt there will still be a lot of people who will vote for him regardless. Look, we talked about the Santas last week. The man's toast. The man's done for. Over. Give it up. Ronnie D's done. There's no other person that's going to stop him. And at the end of the day, the Republicans know that, if, especially if the Santas flames out, which is pretty much almost a certainty at this point, they need somebody, right? So at the end of the day, um, I just don't know what they can do. They're going to have to back him. And ultimately, like... 
The only thing that would really hurt against um, against Biden would be if he can somehow push this stuff past the election. If he can, if his lawyers can make a case that we are not going to go to trial before the election, like you're doing a harm to my to to him. And if he somehow gets a sympathetic judge that's allowing him to essentially push all this shit past the past the election, that's where it gets dicey because then you might see record numbers for Trump. Um, at least like a, like a large turnout and maybe a depressed turnout for Biden because they know they are literally holding his freedom in their hands. That's one thing that does make me nervous. Yeah. So I know that at least one of the indictments got pushed to March 24. Right. And I mean, and I feel happens. like this is like two years too late at this point. Like the, 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 <laughs> The, the flywheel has already spun up. Like yeah. we're already in election. We're already in election mode right now. And all of the Republican candidates for president are complete goobs. Like yeah. Ronnie D is a absolute fucking loser at this point. Like every interview he does is a to <laughs> every interview he does is a disaster. His like, laugh is even horrifying. Fox News is like, dude, you are like, you're a weird guy, aren't you're, you? <laughs> you're not doing well. Like, you suck. And I mean, you have all the other anonymous, like NPC characters that are GOP yeah. candidates as well, and you don't hear from any of them. He's barely Why? outpulling Vivek. Uh, barely, and that guy's probably going to go to prison for like election fraud too <laughs> or like campaign finance fraud yeah. because the way that they're like raising money for their campaign he has that look. Is, yeah the way that they're raising money for their campaign is like hey if you donate like a dollar to our campaign we'll send you twenty dollars back it's like i don't know how that works it doesn't sounds sound it sounds illegal to me that, that, that's definitely not legal but <laughs> all right um i mean even like honestly the only one that at this point makes like any kind of like logical sense. I would like to see a, cause I'm a, again, like I, I'm a sicko like this. I would love to see Chris Christie, Mike Pence, Donald Trump debate stage. Oh God. Like, cause Trump, I want, I want to see, just call him fat and then I want to see Pence like fall apart and I want to see Christy and Trump go at it. <laughs> I, I I mean, Trump has basically said though that he wasn't gonna even he wasn't even going to debate. So I am I actually wonder if he's even gonna do it. I don't think he needs to though. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Why would he? Like it, it doesn't. I don't think it serves him to do it. So honestly, like if I was him, I wouldn't either. Yeah, I mean, at this point, like. The people that are voting for Trump, they have already assumed like the election was stolen. Right. So they're fine with him running and all of this stuff is just purely arbitrary. Um, fuck, I'm trying to find like where is the actual like indictment stuff for him? And this is the problem with Elon Musk's X files thing. <laughs> So from what I'm reading, um, basically it's it's four, I don't know what the counts are. It just says four counts, um, but I don't see anything specifically like um, what what he's being charged with. 
So, but it's basically has to do with election interference. Yeah. So I'm just not 100% sure here what it is. But, man, it is. It's crazy the amount of indictments that he's gotten in the last few months. This is now the third. And now I think Georgia is coming up too. Mm -hmm. So, like, there seems to be that, like, he pretty much has a lot of shit coming up that, like, I don't think he's going to be able that that's the one thing if if there is one thing that you want to like kind of look at that might be is that it might become too busy for him to be able to handle it all. You know what I'm saying? That like if he does have cases that he has to deal with, it could get to the point where it's like it's just too much for him to handle being on being on the road trying to deal with all this stuff. Then he has a court appearance the next day. But I, I'm not ever really counting him out until until I see it happen, you know? See, I'm going to disagree with you because, honestly, I don't even think – and I would make the argument that Joe Biden doesn't have to do this either. I don't think any one of these guys have to actually campaign. Like, I think, mm. I think once the um, conventions happen where Trump is nominated as the GOP candidate for president and – Biden is recertified as the like the person that the the Democratic Party is supporting. They yeah. don't need to do debates. They don't need to like rally or do any of those things like cuz basically all of the people that have already like we're going to just redo 2020 over again. And I don't know necessarily if there's going to be people that voted for Joe Biden that are going to go over to Trump but I'm wondering if there are going to be people that go from Trump to Biden because like, or they just don't vote. The only thing that worries me is with the, it's more the suburbs, like, like the, the white suburbs is that like, because of inflation and gas prices, can he spawn some of those people off? But it will be hard because again, with everything that happened, I think January 6th kind of took a lot of those people out. So I, I don't know. It is it is hard to tell, but like it does make me more nervous than Ron DeSantis. If Ron DeSantis was running, I'd feel a lot more secure about a win. The thing about Trump is that he doesn't like engage in the culture war shit nearly as much as DeSantis does, and near not nearly as much as like I don't know how you could say this, but like Trump is able to articulate what he stands for more so than what like yeah. Pence, Scott, Haley, and any of the other goobs do. But DeSantis has like cut his own cloth into like, I am going to like work really hard to find the people that are like neo-Nazis and just mm. like be really supportive of them. Well, the only thing with though is that like, I think what I fear the most is that our, like, there was like 2020, everyone was juiced to vote. Right. Mm -hmm. Because of the fact that they ultimately felt like democracy was at, you know, at stake. And, you know, Dobbs might carry um, Biden again, you know, especially because of what, what has happened under Trump's Supreme Court. Right. Because that's ultimately what it is. That might be enough. But I there with economic things being what they are, it might be enough to to kind of spawn some people off. So I think that's that is something that they do have to take into account. Uh, that there might be a depressed 
Democratic vote. And if, if, if Republicans are juiced to come out, that's the thing that I, I do worry about. So, yeah, I hear that. But at the same time, though, like if you got up to vote Trump out of office in 2020, why wouldn't you do it again in 2040? Uh, I think it's more of the more moderate people that may. It's like there are people out there that will go. I don't see the big difference between Biden and Biden and Trump. Like it's all the same shit to me. Enough of those people who are more like, you know, the turnout was high. And like if turnout is not as high, that's the thing that worries me. But again, this is more of just a concern. It's not anything that's steeped in like data or anything. So I can't point to anything that says that like that's going to happen. I'm just saying that like ultimately that is my probably my biggest fear. So Yeah, I think it's a fair fear to have. Um, it's weird, though, that we're having this conversation essentially like a year and a half prior to an election. Yeah. And we've been having this conversation since the start of this year, too, yeah. or the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Because I think even the end of last year, Ronnie D was starting to like hint towards like a campaign, and Trump was kind of just floating in the ether. But like, yeah, DeSantis, we thought anyway that he was going to be at least the guy that was going to challenge Trump and probably edge him out. But yeah, I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's completely cratered based solely on personality like he is so unelectable because he's a fucking loser he wins because he was electorally popular and like he wasn't even really electorally popular in the first ballot he won because he, covid he barely beat time. he gillum. barely beat andrew gillum and andrew yeah. gillum was like smoking rock in yeah. fucking hotels and shit like yeah, imagine no, like the brain power <laughs> We talked about this last time. There was a large immigration to Florida, too. So I think that's why it speaks to why he did so well in 2022. Um, Mainly because of the COVID stuff. But, like, post that, like, what has he done that is, like, like, what has he done in Florida other than bitch at Disney that has, like, really, like, turned people to, like, think that he's some kind of god? And I'm surprised. Like, we talked about this last time, too, that I'm surprised he doesn't lean into the COVID stuff. He never does. And mm-hmm. it's like that's the only thing that I think universally, like a lot of conservatives really love about him. Like Trump people, DeSantis people, everyone loved that he was keeping Florida open regardless of COVID restrictions. So, like, why wouldn't you lean into the thing that makes you most popular amongst your demographic? Yeah. And I, I'm, I think we talked about this last week too. Like, the fact that Trump doesn't even like talk about him anymore. No, like, he's pretty much moved on. He's moved on. It's Joker. For DeSantis, it's Joe over. So um, I have the indictments pulled up right now. Okay, great. The first, the first count is count one: conspiracy to defraud the United States. Wow. Count two: count two is conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Count three is obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding. I might need that one explained to me. Yeah, I would Um, need to. Count four is conspiracy against rights. So I read something somewhere. I read something somewhere that this is actually um, count four is a a law that was put in place to combat the KKK. Mm. So what you said, voting rights. Yes. Yeah. Um, It's associated with that. 
but it's old enough where it's associated with the clan mm-hmm. and how they intimidated people not to vote. Got it. Interesting. That's that's interesting that like like they are kind of playing the idea of like voting rights into this because like that is kind of what he was doing. He was trying to overwhelm overwhelm what the will of the people was. He was trying mm-hmm. to get people to stop voting, you know, like basically like when the votes were like still being counted, he was trying to stop it. So there is there is something to that that he was essentially trying to strip voting rights away from people. Like we talked about Detroit, right? Like in Michigan, he knew the the, the margins were going to be thin. So what's the biggest vote Democratic voting block in in Michigan? It's Detroit. So he was trying to get those areas like basically knocked out. So he was ultimately doing that, and yeah, he obstructed the entire situation. I think January sixth is, is kind of an example of that too. Um, basically trying to intimidate uh, lawmakers to you know make a different decision. So like I mean, the first one was pretty ominous. Uh, what was the first count again? Conspiracy to defraud the United States. That feels. So I think that's pretty cut and dry right there. Yeah, yeah. That that sounds like it's a bad charge. I don't know what that carries, and I don't know if you are found guilty for that. What what that means? They execute um, you. <laughs> so uh, as a felony, um, it would carry a fine or imprisonment up to five years. So that that charge alone carries a potential five year sentence. How is he going to be able to watch cats? <laughs> I'm trying to find. I'm on a website right now that has like the indictment documents here. I'm I did everything find, right, and they indicted me. I'm trying to find what that third one is because that seemed a little obtuse, or at least I didn't understand it. I don't um it's all bad at least yeah for him anyway yeah it's not bad yeah. for me it's not bad for you it's bad for him. no it's entertaining um yeah I, I i feel like this is gonna this is gonna ultimately hurt his like it's gonna hurt his flow but it is going to drive turnout for him though because there's enough people that actually believe that he's being indicted you know for the for the wrong reason yeah the deep state is indicting him right. to silence him <laughs> They're not silencing him. They're silencing you. Yeah. So I, I just at the end of the at the end of the day, I just I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I I go back to my original comment. Like, I think this is all like two years too late at this point. Like, I think the documents stuff, this this no. is all too late at this point. Like, if they really wanted to strike while the iron was hot, it should have happened like the year after the election when people were still like. That's that is something that does play in my mind because I was surprised that it did go on for so long without any type of indictment or anything that like we were going like it was it didn't start until what this year. You know, well, I mean, they the had all those indictment. congressional hearings at the yeah. at the midway point of last year that no one was really paying attention to because. Right. I mean, half the country basically tuned him out and said, like, yeah, January 6th was all FBI agents and shit like that, or Antifa. And the other half, like, said, like, this is great and all that Congress is looking into this, but this is not a federal court. This is not like an actual court of law. You can refer charges. You actually can't indict anybody for any of this. Right. So 
Yeah, it was the Justice Department and whatever state um, state attorneys at that point needed to start to finally step up, and it, it finally starts happening. But it feels like now it's it's already August of 2023, and it's like by the time this shit actually happens, and he's gonna try and delay it as much as possible. Um, it's just the longer it goes on, the more complicated it's gonna get when we get closer to the election. So, and there was always that thought that maybe they abandoned him for DeSantis, but obviously he's face planted so poorly at this point. I don't think they can. God, do that. how do you fuck that up? You are I, Ron DeSantis. That's how you fuck it up. I know we're short on time here, but I do want to ask: like, does the GOP, does the other candidates of the GOP, do they finally find their identity and like go after Trump and be like, you can't, you can't nominate this person because he's like. No. Look at all that he's done. No. Because because at the end of the day, they know that if they want to survive, they have to beat him but not discredit him because what he's done is okay, right? Like he did nothing wrong and they indicted him. Like literally, they'll say the same thing, but like maybe we just don't want to like go down that road with everything that's going on. Maybe he'd be better as a figurehead for, and I'll, I'll be the nominee. Like he can be, I'll I'll listen to what he says and do what he wants. Like that. that, They're going to try and take it that way. But then again, it's the argument of like, why would I want you then when I can have the man, you know, like why I can have Trump. Why would I want fucking Chris Christie? You know, why would I want a less charismatic version of you? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why DeSantis like had an avenue. He had a lane. He just didn't know. He 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 tried to fuck the lane. He didn't know what he was doing with it. Like he didn't know what to do with it at all. Like how how do you fuck that up? Like you you had a golden opportunity to be like, I have a record in Florida, and it's like it's an awful record, but to them it's great. So like you know he could have been like, I can be your guy that can win. And, like, I don't have the baggage of fucking Trump. I don't have the January 6th thing. I don't have the, you know, all this other stuff. So, epic, epic fail on Ryan's yeah. part. It was funny. Um, there was a Brett Bayer interview with DeSantis a couple of days ago where there was a GOP donor that basically said, like, you need to abandon DeSantis right now. Like, he's he's completely yeah. fucked this up. He's, yeah. he's like completely unelectable he's a fucking weirdo and they like read the quote to DeSantis and he like pushed back on it and it was just such a feeble attempt yeah and I I mean this is also what happens too when you insulate yourself and the only people you answer questions from are people that are from the newspapers that are supportive of you as Mm -hmm. soon as he got out of the cocoon of Florida it was over that was the thing that I knew was going to be a problem for them because they ultimately were they ultimately the biggest thing for them was to be like insulated by Florida. Right. And like now that you can't just like tell your aides to get rid of these guys. Right. Like you can't do that. And like so now you're in a position where you actually have to cook deal with these reporters questions and like obviously he did not handle himself well and he didn't do it the other day he's very combative but not in a way that's like charming like trump does it like trump will call it like you're a loser and like everyone's like oh shit he just called him a loser but ron is like he's just like he's aggressive and like mean and it's just like it's not like it's just not it's not hitting it's very like um unassured of himself 
So yeah. he makes it like extra personal versus is like super dismissive, but also he can be funny at the same time because yeah. he can be the same guy who can talk shit to you and then like call you the next day. And he's like, by the way, I loved your column like five years ago when you reviewed like Little Orphan Annie on Broadway. I thought it was fantastic. It was the best article I ever read. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, just, it's so funny to me, man. I just like, I just can't, I can't get enough of watching him just act like a complete fucking weirdo everywhere he goes. I want more of it, really. Like, yeah, it's, I'm going to be sad when he's gone, honestly. And he has to return back to Florida and he yeah. hides. I don't think he's going to make it past the season. So, no, he's done. He's cooked. It's Joe over for him. It's Joe over. Um, I know that we're at time right now. Do we want to go to assholes and picks? Yeah, let's do it. All right. You go first. All right. Well, we were talking about running back contracts, right? So I'm going to go with Ryan Clark, um, an ESPN guy, former player. Former New York Giant, by the way, uh, for a short period of time. Former Commando starting. He was a former Commando as well, former Pittsburgh Steeler. It's funny because the, the the talking heads of ESPN during this whole Saquon situation really made it worse because they kept saying that the Giants are like staining their reputation by not giving um, Saquon Barkley uh, a big contract. And not to mention, like, they a lot of Daniel Jones got a lot of flack in this situation too because like oh they paid daniel jones too much and now they can't pay saquon which for anybody not who true, has like a jet yeah anybody has a general understanding understands those things are not correlated in any way they're not overpaying saquon what they value him at daniel jones contract has literally nothing to do with that but ryan clark basically was basically going off about how the giants paid you know daniel jones and they didn't pay saquon barkley and it's a big stain on their reputation now Ryan Clark used to play for the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? Big fan of them. He talks about what a what a model organization. Do you remember a couple years ago, Le'Veon Bell? Sure do. Franchise tag person. And mind you, the difference is I've already mentioned to you, Tom, that Saquon Barkley is third among active running backs and running back uh, salaries overall, like money earned over, over their contract. He's barely been in the NFL. Le'Veon Bell was a second-round draft pick out of Michigan State who was making, if he made a million dollars a year, was barely making that. They wrote, they rode him into the ground. They franchised him. He put up 1,900 yards on that franchise tag, and then they franchise tagged him again and never paid him. He ended up going to the Jets and getting that big contract. I don't know how Ryan Clark, he didn't have that same energy for the fucking Pittsburgh Steelers when they, when they did that. And it's like that to think that somehow the Giants are like staining their organization by not paying Saquon Barkley when the current guy in a charge did not draft Saquon Barkley at number two overall. He has no duty to give him a big contract. And that somehow the Giants are going to just be an absolute trash team without him is insane to me. So I'm tired of the talking heads on ESPN. I'm so glad that this whole Saquon Barkley thing is done because of the fact that ultimately I'm tired of hearing how the Giants are the worst organization. But guarantee that if they gave Saquon Barkley $16 million a year and then he tears his ACL the next year, they would have been like, well, yeah, you don't pay running backs. What are you, what are you doing? Stupid. So it, it, is, it is total Monday morning quarterback being played by, especially ESPN being the worst. Um, and I'm just kind of sick of it. Just- I think that's just like the 9 a.m. first take it ESPN is. talking point, though. It is. Because that you can stretch that conversation out longer than like 
if I were to ask you in four years, who do you think is more likely to be on the Giants, Daniel Jones or Saquon Barkley? Daniel Jones. There you go. That conversation ends in 30 seconds versus like you can create an entire narrative around like the Saquon Barkley stuff. And like, I, I understand what Ryan Clark is saying too, but also when he was there, there were a shit ton of running backs that went through there. They were also all really good. Like, Mendenhall, Willie Parker, Le'Veon mm-hmm. Bell. Like, where's the yeah. outrage for those guys, too? Yeah, I mean, Willie Parker was an undrafted guy out of North Carolina. So don't like, think he made any money. Don't either. think he made any money out of this deal. So it's like, I mean, like, yeah. And it's like, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, I want Saquon to make money. I just don't want it to be at, on the Giants cap. Like, I am just don't. If it was uncapped, the NFL was uncapped, I'd be fine paying Saquon whatever he wants. But, like, at the end of the day, we have to be realistic here, and it just doesn't make sense to me. So. Yeah, you only have a finite amount of money you could use every year, and you have 57 players or 58 players that you have to take Yeah, care of. exactly. And you carry four other running backs on the roster too. Yep, exactly. So, yeah, it just it's just silly to me. We keep doing this over and over again, and I don't know why. And it's just so annoying, honestly. So it's just I'm, I'm just kind of sick of it at this point. I think it's I think it's just the and I know that we talked about this a lot, but I think it's just the way sports media has just never really gotten over how quickly that running back need or value has declined and other yeah. positions has exploded. Like right. the league became pass like a passing heavy league so fast that yeah. media has been unable to keep up with it. Yeah. And I agree. There, there are some that are just like, yes, this is the way it is now. And there are others like Ryan Clark that just like bitch and moan about it. It's like, guy, man, like the thing is, it's like nobody's doing this. No. Nobody. Like nobody is giving big contracts anymore. Nope. And if the Giants are the only one to do it, they're the only idiots in the room. Then. It, that's That was my exact point from the beginning was that like. How do you how do you go around paying someone that much money when ultimately like and how it do you just doesn't make sense? It? Yeah, you can't. And it's like, I, I, why should they be the ones to do it? Like, why do we have to be the test subject for something that hasn't worked? Todd Gurley, Zeke Elliott, like you know, like none of the even Christian McCaffrey had like he got traded right because he was constantly injured. He had to go to Shanahan, and honestly, Shanahan can make anybody look good at running back but yeah, yeah he's christian mccaffrey looks amazing because of the fact that he's christian mccaffrey but the first two years of that deal though did not look good no it didn't it hurt for both of them yep 100 percent. yeah so so i i just i just don't get it um it's just it's just stupid here we go again constantly so um you know i don't know i don't know at this point goons yep um, okay, so my asshole of the week is going to be the star of the Green Arrow television show that was on the CW, Stephen Amell. Um, the reason why he is my asshole of the week is because he had some comments about the strike between the Writers Guild of America and SAG, where he said, I support my union, I do, and I stand with them, but I do not support striking, I don't. Um, I think it is a reductive negotiating tactic and I find the entire thing incredibly frustrating. And I think the thinking as it pertains to shows like the show I am on 
that premiered last night, I think it's myopic. First off, I don't think this person actually understands any of the fucking words that he said. And the reason why Steven is my asshole of the week is striking is literally the only thing that unions have over their over employers and over corporations where yeah. you just stop showing up to work. They feel it. Yeah. And for him to say, I don't understand the need for striking, then why do you have a union? Then? You basically take all of the bargaining power away from the union and say like, you've basically turned into the NFL pre-2008 where it's like, well, we're really upset about this, but we're going to just keep showing up to fucking work every day. Hmm. And I read something on Twitter um, earlier where this is this guy's play to essentially cancel himself and end up in the Sound of Freedom too. <laughs> I just don't yeah. understand. I don't like... I'm not, like I'm not in a union personally. I've right. never been in a union, but I support unions. I don't understand this logic. And if this is like his approach, then I don't think he understands it either. No. And I, if I am a union member and I'm standing next to this guy and be like, dude, why the fuck are you here? <laughs> it's it just, yeah. And like, again, like people, you know, people don't forget by the way, like with these like union things, like, you know, especially Hollywood stuff, like they don't they don't forget, man. And like I mean the you... writers on the show are gonna end up being directors and producers or yeah. like like headline screenwriters one day and they're gonna remember like, hey, this is the guy who said like he's for our union but actually doesn't wanna do any of the union like shit. Yeah. People people are gonna remember that shit, man. And you're gonna you're gonna end up becoming the bad guy in this situation. So uh, he, he, I would advise to be very careful because, like, especially if you're going to end up becoming a scab, like, like people don't forget that shit ever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I, I think just some of the language that's been used by some of the production studios about, like, um, how much money they're losing and they're pushing, like, show, movie dates back and things like that. I saw that the Gran Turismo movie got pushed back too. And I think Dune 2 got pushed back too. Yeah. But they're blaming it on like, well, we don't have any actor participation, any of the premieres. It's like, don't blame the writer. Don't blame like the actors and the writers for this. Like pay your fucking people or don't turn them into like AI bots and yeah. like steal their identities forever. So again, I don't have a ton to say about this individual because I've never watched the show, but I saw the yeah. quote and like, that sounds like a dick move or in our case, an asshole. So Stephen ML, you're my asshole of the week. <laughs> Love it. Love it. Yeah. So for me, um, pick, uh, I mentioned it last week. I've actually saw it in the theater. Uh, it's a new horror movie. It's an Australian horror movie made by two YouTubers called Talk to Me. And uh, but essentially the plot of it is it's like a new age, like social media thing is that these kids essentially find a hand. And the one thing I love about this movie, like you can basically grab the hand and like say, talk to me and you can talk with like spirits. And obviously shit goes haywire. The one thing I love about this movie is that it's quick. It's, not the scariest movie I've ever seen, but it's got really good horror elements, practical effects, which I'm very big on, no CGI. But the biggest thing for me is that it doesn't over-explain itself. Mm. I don't want to get strapped. Like, don't give me a reason. Like, why is this happening? Like, who? where did this come from? It doesn't really tell you. 
And I am appreciative of that actually, because at the end of the day, like I don't really need to know. And actually it's scarier sometimes when you don't know why this is happening or why it is, is, is occurring. So for me, um, it was only an hour and a half. It was a banger. Um, so many bad horror movies have been coming out recently. So this is, uh, it's also been very well critically received. Um, and, uh, the fan response has been really big too. And I mean, again, for these guys, uh, being YouTubers, making this movie, it's already made three times the money back, um, that it had cost. So I think, uh, I think people have really found a nice niche now, like being able to like do cheap horror movies that just make a lot of money. So it's, it is, it is a new way and it's, and it's fun going to the theater when people are like screaming in the audience, you know? And they're excited to be there too. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, I saw a preview for it. It looks really good. Do you think like it being a relatively shorter movie than the normal stuff that's coming out now? Like, do you think that helps that movie like move the plot forward? Because a lot of movies now are like two, two and a half hours long. Hmm. There's a lot of dialogue in there that doesn't really need to be in there. You said it was an hour and a half. Do you think yeah. that helped that movie like keep the pace and the tempo and kind of the tension up versus like something that's longer that you can kind of drift in and out of? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I honestly do. Um, I think there's a lot. Uh, I think like now with especially movies being like see, people's attention spans tend to be a little bit shorter too. So the fact that you can have a movie that ultimately like is quick, it's the pace was great. And I really like the ending of it too. So like, I think that actually bodes bodes well. Cause like a lot of times these movies that are like two hours, I mean, I'm not going to talk about Oppenheimer, but like a lot of these movies that are two hours, you feel like you could probably cut 10, 20 minutes out of it. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a problem. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that one. And, and honestly, like, I like the amount of time that it is an hour and a half seems pretty interesting, but also yeah. too, like, I like the concept too, because it's original, right? Like, I, I feel like you've seen so many reboots and I was going to ask you about it too. I don't know if you were yeah. in the theater and you saw the, the trailer for the new Exorcist movie and it looked scary but I'm like, we're gonna do Exorcist again. Yeah, I, I, I have. I saw the trailer for that too, and I did not. I was not left enthused. Like, why is why are you dragging Ellen Burstyn through this? Like, why? What did Ellen Burstyn do that she has to be in this? And it's just so funny. Um, yeah, I, I'm not super into that. But it's like, yeah, I, I do give credit that this is definitely an original idea, and honestly. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a sequel for this movie. So, like, I don't I don't think there will be, actually, um, unless it's like, a, you know, unless it's something they, they find something amazing to ultimately do it. I, I just I don't I don't see it. So, like, I kind of like that. It might be a, you know, a soul movie just on its own. So um, that but that's 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 it's nice because it is an original idea and it, it was a very big like a very nice new take on a lot of like what horror movies are doing. So like, I'm actually, I'm actually really encouraged. Nice. So the name of the movie is talk to me, right? Talk to me. Yep. Cool. Um, playing in the theater near you. Um, Everywhere. Go to the bathroom before you go see it. 
Probably no, you don't really have to because it's only an hour and a half. So, well, you might piss yourself either way. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, true, true. <laughs> um, my pick of the week is also going to be a movie as well, and we had talked about it last week. But I went to go see Oppenheimer on Sunday. Yes. I thought it was fantastic. You talked about a movie that was an hour and a half. Q Oppenheimer's three yeah. hours. Yeah, but I saw some criticism about it, how it was too long. Honestly, I felt like they covered so much, but it moved so well. And the, again, mm. the tension was so, was so well put together. It's a Chris Nolan movie though. I think it was crafted in a way where you didn't feel like it was three hours, a mm. good comp movie to me. And I don't know if you've ever seen this, but the good shepherd, it felt like very much yes. kind of like a story that's broken up into several different parts and you kind mm. of have to figure it out as you go. Right. Um, and I also know that we talked a little bit about the the criticism of the movie last week. Yeah. I don't know if I saw a different movie from some of the critics of this, but I feel like maybe a third of the movie was scientists talking about the morality of using an atomic bomb and whether mm -hmm. it was a good idea. Right. And... I think there is so much nuance to this movie where if you go into mm. it cold, you are going to walk out or and you have like a perspective that you've walked in there with, you're going to walk okay. out with it and you're going to try and make it fit around what you think. Like, okay. So I think you need to go in there and understand the context of some of the other pieces that were happening in world war two, where the Germans were also building an atomic bomb too. Right. And they said, like, if we were able to develop it, we were going to use it against London. Hmm. So um, I know a lot of the criticism was like the United States used this bomb and the Japanese like were trying to surrender. None of that is like. Yeah, I, I don't know how that became like common, like it's, talk. Yeah, yeah, none of that is actually true. But yeah. again, like, I think the thing that impressed me the most about it was just like the writing was so good, but also all of the people they were able to attract to this movie. A lot of them are Chris Nolan, like returners mm. that have been in Chris Nolan movies, but like um, Matthew Modine was in this movie for like mm. a little piece. Gary Oldman was in this too. Um, that. Matt Damon was really, really good in it too. And he didn't have a huge role in it. Um, they um emily blunt's character was kind of subdued for the whole movie until like the final like 20 minutes of it mm. and she gives this monologue at the end that just hits love it um i honestly it's probably one of the best movies that i've seen in a very 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 long time and i think that again it's a, it's a chris nolan movie so there's a lot of layers to it and there's a lot of like symbolism and like you have to kind of it's a cerebral film, but it was really, really good. I enjoyed it. If you have the time, go see Oppenheimer. I will say, though, and Q, I don't know how you feel about this with some movies. Yeah. I feel like this is a movie that I saw in the movie theater and it was great. If I see it on my TV at home, it's not going to hit the same. Mm, that's I mean, that's common with Nolan. I mean, that is that is a common issue with Nolan is that like a lot of his stuff is just so like 
built for IMAX and built, you know, the sound. Like, I mean, Tenet, I saw Tenet and like the sound mixing was very weird because you're not in an IMAX theater. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of, that's a common thing with uh, Christopher Nolan. And like, it's just the aspect ratio and everything like that. So yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that you want to see. You didn't do the Barbenheimer though? I was going to do Barbie the night before, but I wasn't feeling well. Mm. Um, but I will say... I went to go see Oppenheimer at six on Sunday and walked mm-hmm. out of the theater at nine thirty. Mm-hmm. I haven't done like a Sunday late night movie in a very, very long time. Yeah. That yeah. shit felt fucking weird because the mall was completely deserted. Yeah. Nobody was in the parking lot. I'm like I did uh I did talk to me at ten fifteen on a Saturday on Saturday. So it was That's not that bad though. No, but it's but it's but it's like I have I haven't done a late night movie in a while. So it was actually kind of nice. I actually enjoyed it. So. But that's a movie you want to go see at night. Oh, yeah, for like, sure. It'd be it's... so weird if you went there at like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, true. But you know, know, just got again, out of Red Lobster. We're going to go see a movie. Chili's, <laughs> man. Come on. You get the you get the, the chicken crispers. Come on, man. What's going on with you? But yeah, um, those are our picks of the week. You have our assholes of the week. Um, trying to wrap this up here quick. Q, any other thoughts here? Be good people. Yeah, don't fuck this up, guys. Um Folks, well, that does it for another episode of the Second Mouse Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We'll have um, another episode hopefully next week. Um, you can do us all a solid and follow us on all your favorite streaming platforms. Um, find us on Spotify, Apple, Google Plus people. Also, shout out to the people in Great Britain that are listening to the show. Sorry we make fun of your country. Um, but you can also do us a solid too. And if you want, you can join the discord, but find us on social media, second mouse podcast um, and follow us like our shit. And also tell us what you want to talk about and we'd be happy to do so. But good night. we will see you all next week, folks. Bye. Do good things. Okay. Let's get me a rhythm. Follow me again. Then he says, and I'm not kidding you, he goes, now clap. Please clap. Just clap for that, you stupid bastard. I need applause to live. Suck it, Jack Sparrow. <laughs> <laughs>